space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're back talking about, we're still on Voyager in DS9, we're doing a much later Voyager, a big, we've had a big <coughs> jump, we've jumped from season one to season six, and I think we yeah. said last week, like, we we both thought Barkley came back a lot quicker in Voyager, but... Yeah, because he ends up being in quite a lot of episodes yeah, <laughs> by but, the end of it. But the it's sort of backloaded the episodes he appears in, because... Um, yeah. This is season six, and we're talking about Pathfinder. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, this is a. I think this is a really good episode. This is, it's it breaks with the format because this is pretty much a Barclay and Troy episode that happens to feature Voyager. Yeah, but I think it like I like how this is done. That it is based on Earth and yeah. the efforts to federate. Federation, because the Federation by this point have been do know that they are definitely there because the Doctor going to help the Prometheus. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a good episode as well. Is Prometheus? Yeah. So um, it's now seeing the efforts that Starfleet is now making to actually help them. Yeah, and this almost like it's almost sort of like a proof of concept show for like an Earth based Star Trek series, like. I reckon yeah. you could do something like this, like have have a show that's all about like Starfleet headquarters or scientific research or something set on Earth, and I think you could, I think you could make a really interesting show out of that. And it's, I find it interesting that this is a really good Voyager episode, and it barely features the Voyager. I mean, it does feature the Voyager crew a lot, but it doesn't feature them sort of in real time, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. you don't get... Yeah, it's sort of, it's featuring the characters, but... They're not the characters. Not actually, yeah. They're not the characters. It's... Yeah, the actors all get to put in a day's work apart from, and we'll, yeah. we'll comment on it later, but obviously the, they don't know about Seven of Nine, so Seven of Nine's not in any of the programmes. So then as soon as we do get back to the ship at the end, it's like, right, we've got to have Jerry Ryan in this scene because she's not been able to be in it all episode. <laughs> she hasn't been in it yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's look at this one then. So we start off with Barclay on Earth, and it's quite clever, really, just how visually it it sets where we are because we get the first contact uniforms, first contact DS9, that era yeah, uniforms. It, so well, it's it, like, right, okay. It's it's somewhere between first contact and insurrection set. Yeah. So it's it's a way of telling us this this is set in present day, if you like, on Earth. And yeah. we get that straight away. And then obviously Deanna turns up. So yeah, it's... It's sort of referenced in the episode, isn't it? Like they say, the Enterprise is in orbit and Picard's yeah. given a permission to spend a bit of time with him. So is it is it between first? We know he was on the Enterprise in first contact. Yeah, so and it, and, um, I think it's between first contact and insurrection, this. Yeah, that sounds about right, because obviously by Nemesis, Voyager's got home, so... Yeah. Yeah, so for some reason, Barclay seems to have transferred off the Enterprise. There's a weird... And, um, and it, is actu it is actually mentioned in this episode about him having transferred from the Enterprise to this posting. Yeah. Which does prove our point that we made last week, that he shouldn't have been in the episode. Yeah, yes, that's very true, actually. You're right. Yeah, that'd make... Yeah, because we were talking about when did he go... And also, yeah. the... They done at the end of this episode. They say, "Oh, it's this Lieutenant Barclay," and the Doctor doesn't say, "Oh, you mean the one that I had the hallucinations about, who worked on yeah. my program?" No mention of that whatsoever. So it, yeah, like it'd be interesting. It'd be something to look up if they decided to sort of take that sort of retcon that out of it. Yeah, they seem to sort of retcon that. With 
And there's only people like us who go in depth in these shows, looking back at them like now. Yeah. Who are picking up on all these faults. It, it does seem like it's just... Let, let's ignore that a little bit, because we've decided a new um, a new story yeah. for Barkley now. Troy says to Barkley, though, she says, you always knew how to flatter me. Like, really, Deanna? So was it flattering when he was making dirty sex holograms of you on the <laughs> on the holodeck? I'm not sure that's flattery. I don't yeah. I don't remember you being that impressed with it at the time, but yeah. fair well, enough. I I think that we she sort of plays it here, doesn't it? And it's like the last time we saw him in the next generation, it was still awkward with people, but it, it was. settled in a little bit. Yeah. And I think, and this is sort of played that it took him time to make friends, but he did have a lot of friends yeah, on the I Enterprise so. by the time he left. Yeah, I think that is the case, definitely. And he's he's sort of almost back to square one now that he's in a different environment. And um, we see that his his latest obsession, like the tr- the teaser finishes with it saying, "I've become obsessed with Voyager," and <laughs> I almost do wonder whether this is meant to be sort of like a meta comment on fan on fandom like you know hey we know that the fans are obsessed with voyager i don't know maybe um and he's calling his cat uh, neelix and <laughs> which i'm sure there's probably a lot of people who do have cats called neelix so that's you know it it wouldn't i think they actually wasn't quite a few pets got neelix and yeah after. well it's a good name for a cat so while neelix. voyager was on an, an after yeah i think it's a good name yeah, for yeah. For a cat, yeah. If if I ever had another cat, I might call it Neelix, but I don't think I'd ever have another cat. So there we go. Um, <clears throat> so then we see his behaviours sort of repeating himself because he's running a hollow program now of the the Voyager bridge. So and they do touch on it a little bit in this episode. Like, have you fallen back into the hollow addiction and everything? Yeah. So I think that's good that they're uh- not. Ignoring. I don't think he's. I don't think he's fallen back as far as it was when we first saw him because he's not sort of trying. He's not sleeping with Janeway and Belal. No, that's true. He's not. Them, yeah, he's not making him into goddesses and stuff. He's. Yeah. It, <laughs> so he's he, not gonna. Is is that like he is using it as a tool to try solve the problem? Yeah, it's almost again. It's almost a bit of a commentary on the whole sort of, like, Mary Sue phenomenon, of, and I mean that in the the original context of the word rather than sort of how it's used now, in that, you know, people would write fan fiction and put themselves in, effectively, they'd write yeah. themselves into an episode of Star Trek. And yeah. that's what Barclay's doing here, is he's writing himself into the story of Voyager. And it's I feel like it is very much like a fan would do like, if you imagined, oh, I joined the Voyager crew and I'm great at everything and they all come to me and they ask me how to do this and how to do that. Yeah, and I, and I solve the problems. And... and that's what it feels like, this. It's it's almost like Barclay's a standing for a Star Trek fan yeah. who might imagine himself the, in that world. There is part of this, and I can actually relate to, and he finds he sleeps better on the in the holodeck yeah. quarters that he's got on Voyager. But his quarters on the holodeck Voyager are all lovely and smart and everything's in its correct place. And I was thinking he could program that like that and it all goes there all the time. Yet his own, his own actual apartment, it's not unpacked anything. That's true. So everything's messy and all over. So he probably thinks, well, this is actually easier and I can, I can be quite a messy person and I can see the attraction of actually, if like a lot of the stuff was holographic and I could go... Right, I don't need that box of this anymore, so... Yeah, that would be good. Right, it's off now and out of the way. Yeah, you can definitely see that, and it'd be so much easier. Like, I think that's kind of a... It's sort of a metaphor for Barclay not being able to deal with real life as much, isn't it? It's like, you know, you, you don't unpack your actual apartment, but... You don't need to because you've got this hollow one that you can... But you'll have a pristine hollow... Yeah, exactly. Um, now, Barclay's got this idea. The whole crux of the episode is we're going to set up a two-way comms. And I like that there's a reference to DS9 as well. Like he says, oh, some of the, the information or something came from a scan that DS9 did. 
So I like that you're getting all three modern eras of Trek referenced in this one episode. It's it's referencing that it all works. It's you don't need to see DS Nine, but it is making you fully aware. Yeah, it's still there, and at this point, DS Nine exists within this universe. Yeah, and DS9 had finished at this point, so we don't really know what happened with the station, but it's going, no, it's still there, they're still doing things, it's fine, yeah. so that's good. And then we go to Barclay's lab and did spot the the prop, the the big prop with the, the lights that go around in the two well, tubes. Well, well, that's how you know that it's a science lab in Star Trek. Exactly. At least in Next Generation era. Yep. Next Generation Era, Federation Science Labs all had the big red juby thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was first in Wrath of Khan, wasn't it? Like, it was, it was in Carol Marcus's lab, I think. Yeah. Is where oh, it was so, first yeah, used, oh, and then... Oh, it's been, it, it's been really well used as this. And not Rob. just in Star Trek, it's been in other shows and stuff. This is just a a, a sci-fi prop that, that comes... <laughs> I think there's YouTube videos actually showing it. So if you're not sure which prop we're talking about, you can find out on YouTube, and it's it's in lots of Star yeah, Trek episodes. Um, and I I would have we having problems with uh, what we normally get our sort of like pictures that we put up. I'll try sort it out. Yeah, because normally we could have just pulled up an image of it. Yeah, but I, I'm sure most people will know which one we're on about, and if not. Yeah. It's the it's the cylinder with the lights that is in loads of stuff. And then we find out that Barclay's boss seems to be trying to set him up with someone, which is... It sort of becomes... Yeah, his sister. His sister, so, yeah, he's obviously reasonably well thought of if his boss is thinking, yeah. you know... Well, well, he's, he's also on their first name terms with his boss. Yeah, exactly, so he, he's obviously... Which is, which is noticeable... Like, Reggie's obviously awkward and he's socially awkward, mm-hmm. but this guy obviously has time for him and he's being friendly to him. And he, and on the first name basis, he calls him P. Yeah, he's inviting him to his house for a meal. Yeah, wants him to meet his sister. Yeah, he's like you say. He's obviously. I think. I think that's one of the things about Barclay, and I think people who are socially awkward to that extent don't realise how much they are liked quite often. Like, that's part of yeah. the, the social anxiety is that, you know, and you think, oh, well, people don't like me, but clearly people do like him uh, yeah. to the extent that, like we say, he's trying to set him up with his sister. So, you know, uh, I like uh, some of the details in Barclay's hollow creation, like the Maquillan in Starfleet uniform. And I really like that because unless you knew that the first thing they'd done is put them all in uniform and off we go, yeah, you would assume this. Yeah, you'd be like, no, it's two separate crews, yeah. and yeah, the doctor's like obviously giving some information. And he said, and he's obviously said the marquee crew is merged with us and working together. Yeah, so he doesn't know. Like I know Bellani is playing the part of the chief engineer still, but. That's a bit of a, ga- a jump, would he know that? Mm. But I can let that go. And I think it's nice that it's put them into the same un- same clothing that they had when we first saw them in the cave. Yeah, and it, it's one of them where it's almost like, here's what you could have won. So it's like, that might have been more interesting if you'd kept the crews a bit more separate yeah. than what you did. You know, but badly... We, we, have said this, <laughs> we have said this, haven't we, quite a lot, that one of the... One of the tricks Voyager really missed out on was the conflict they could have had between the two crews. Definitely. We got little bits, but we didn't get... And like, it... the Marquis are really against what the Federation has done. Mm. How it how it was played that they just went, okay, fine, yeah, let's drop the Starfleet now. It doesn't play quite well. No, it doesn't. And, yeah, it's one of those things. And th- this is almost like... Barclay's version of Voyager is almost a better version of the show that we actually got, yeah. or, or it looks like a more interesting version anyway. Um, and we get this thing like Troy even points out to him, like, no, you know, he invited you around to dinner and everything, so you have got real friends in the real world, but yeah. instead he's 
going back to the holodeck and everything, and you have this bit where he's sort of having a, a briefing with the crew and he's throwing ideas around and everything, and his boss walks into it and rumbles what's going on and boots him off the holodeck and everything. And then he goes to see Admiral Paris. Now, I want to know why Admiral Paris has got a picture of Nick Lacano from the <laughs> the first well, Julie on his desk, you know. We, well, we, there I, is a reason for that. And the reason is that Tom Paris, when he went to the academy, changed his name to Nick. Right. Right. Um, to avoid favouritism as being an admiral's son. Oh, is that what we're going so with? Everyone is, yeah, yeah. That's actually been that's been put forward um, as as why they're so identical and all that. Yeah, is that Nick? Nick actually is Tom Paris, but when he went to the academy, um, records were falsified. Obviously, from high up with the admiral, right? Dad, so the that they didn't know he was the admiral's son. For him to have a different identity. So he didn't get favouritism, so he could actually go through as a normal cadet. Right. Okay. Yeah, we can we can go with that as a as a fan theory. And, and, and yeah, I, I can't, it was only this week that I saw that. And I am being a bit, and I wasn't even looking for it, and, and I thought that makes so much sense. It does. I'm not sure if the timelines quite line up, but yeah, like I, I am being facetious with that because it's. It, it is a really good attention to detail to go, right, we've got this picture of Robert Duncan McNeil in a cadet's uniform, so let's use it and let's make that Tom Parry. Yeah. You know, it's a really clever little detail that they do. But because, you know, we're, we're Star Trek geeks, we've got to point these things out. Like, canonically, that yeah, is not a picture has, of Tom Parry. It has been put out there, though, <laughs> that they are actually the same person. It's yeah. just a... A falsified name, which I think. Okay. What we've all seen of it, and it is the same actor. I think that is the most sensible way. It probably it. is, yeah. Um, and it's all because they didn't want to pay the the writer of the episode, isn't it? So basically, um, yeah, Tom Paris is well, Nick a, it, was, it was an article I was watching, and it was, and that was brought up, and um, the writer has actually denied this mm. that he 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 uh, was demanding. Like to be paid for every time Tom Parry, yeah, uh, this character. Well, I don't think it's it, denied that happening. I don't think it would have been a demand. I think it'd have been Writers Guild of America rules would have necessitated yeah. it. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. He might not have been bothered about it, the writer, but I think it would have been yeah. a, a union thing that they would have had to have done. Um, so you get a bit of a a bit of a weird setup for the rest of the episodes. Barclays like. Well, let me try out my idea, and if it doesn't work, I'll hand in my resignation. And that's almost like, you know, in in wrestling where they have these silly matches where it's like, if you lose, you're fired sort of thing. It's like, this doesn't yeah. happen in real in real um, workplaces. No. Like, right, if this doesn't work, I'm going to resign. It, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem very Starfleet. No, it admiral, really doesn't. For an admiral to accept this. But, and the admiral doesn't really, because he's like, I'll review it, but you're not going to be involved with it. So they do get a bit of a compromise. And then he asks Troy to put in a word for him, and she's like, well, no, because you don't seem like you're fit for work, to be honest. You're, <laughs> you're clearly yeah. on edge. You're, you're clearly... acting very irrationally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like you said, we, this is where we get a, a chat about how since he left the Enterprise, he's been more isolated and everything. And Troy takes the lift to help him. And then Barkley sort of goes a little bit rogue, like he, he breaks into the lab to try out his plan. And he gets rumbled by the guys, but he locks them out and he runs into the holodeck. And th this is where I think the episode gets really, really fun. Like, you've got Barkley in the creation of Voyager, but he's got a leg up in there because he's already formed this relationship with all the the characters in there. Yeah. So when he runs into Tuvok, he's like, Tuvok, you've got to help me with this because these guys are after me. They're pretending to be Starfleet yeah, Security. Got, yeah, we, um, in, in that Tuvok's computer, Scanfer. <laughs> yeah. All oh, right, intruder alert. So I think all that's really good fun. I think they could have... If they'd have wanted to, they could have had even more fun with that and sort of extended that sequence and had little bits going on with him. Yeah, I suppose I think it's... it's one of those where 
like to be fair, I don't think you could have had longer of it because nothing in this episode is actually filler. No, that's very the true. The episode, the, ep- the episode plays brilliantly in its sense. How like you have all the build up and, <laughs> and, and what he's been going through. And the thing is as well, like you couldn't you couldn't push it too far. Like if you had Barkley on the holodeck getting Tuvok to shoot these guys, it's like yeah, you, you're gonna go to jail well, if you do well, that, Barkley. When he when he passes Balana, Balana does shoot them. True, you're right. But, but I suppose if he'd have done long term, obviously damage, it's on a holodeck, so it doesn't harm them. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I suppose if he'd have if he'd have done anything that would have seriously harmed the the guys, it wouldn't have been as as easy for him to to not lose his job. Um, and ultimately, obviously, he. He manages to redirect the signal, and at the same time, you've got his boss trying to start a warp core breach, which kind of reminds us of um, projections that we looked at last week, which yeah. was all "let's destroy the warp core of a hollow program within a program." And yeah, so we're doing that again. I mean, I guess that'll that'll sort that'll sort of crash the program. Okay. It, it makes more sense in this one because it's like. If he does destroy the Voyager in the program, then it will stop the program, so they'll be able to find Barclay. Yeah, so and, they'll they'll just be just, back. and they'll all just be stood on the holodeck. Exactly, so they'll just be straight back on the grid and they'll just be able to nick him. Um, but it's all quite fun where like, he locks himself in a force field at the science bay and everything, and ultimately he sends the message off. And then it's like, so this is like the final act of the episode before we actually get the real Voyager. And we cut to the real Voyager. Like I said, straight away it's Seven of Nine because we've not had Seven of Nine in the episode yet, so we need to get her straight on. Um, but it makes sense because it's the astrometrics lab, isn't it? So Yeah, that picks up the signal. Yeah. And then sort of back on Earth, you've got, Admiral Paris turns up and he's like, oh, Barkley, I've decided to, to do your plan anyway. But So if Barkley had waited <laughs> five minutes, he might not have had to go through yeah. all this stuff. But um, they get the message that comes through from Janeway and then it's... Well, they have to be quick because the fun. It, yeah. it works out from, from the point that uh, the message entered the Delta Quadrant. They've actually only got eight minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah, so they've got... It's like because Tuvok says it's degrading by... It's a collapsing like wormhole thing. Which works out at 500 seconds, which is eight minutes, 20 seconds. Right, so, so yeah, they've got to do it all quickly. So it's, it's a good sequence, and it's, it's nice how you do get the sense of how monumentous it is that they're actually being able to speak properly to someone in the yeah. Alpha Quadrant. And they get a bit where it's like, we'll send this data over and, you know, we'll send you this and you can send us that. But it's weird um, where Admiral Paris says, oh, tell my son this. And Janeway says, don't worry, he can hear you, Admiral. But Tom doesn't say anything back. And I'm like... No, I, 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 I thought <laughs> that. Yeah, I think... I know it's like... I, I wonder if... Like, I was thinking, is Tom deliberate... Like, the Admiral's talking to Janeway, and is Tom actually being a really good officer here and not um, blurting in and end up having a conversation with his dad when they have... He's maybe worked out they've only got eight seconds the same as I have. And he's thinking, if I start having a conversation with my dad... Janeway won't have time to That's... relay important information. Yeah, that was my take on it. But yeah, I, I think... think he was just being a really good officer. I think here. he was. Yeah, it's like obviously we've got to do the necessary stuff rather than me talking to me dad. But I, yeah. I think it'd have been a nice touch if Janeway had have expressly given him permission to say something. Even if he'd have just said, "I well, can hear you, dad," or something. You know, I think that'd have been nice. Well, we did have. We did have, was it Eye of a Needle with the Romulans yeah. where they had the mini wormhole and they all prepared personal messages for the families. So I'm assuming that they'll have them on file still in case something comes up and they'll have just gone um, and that'll maybe. be part of the compressed, and that's maybe part of the compressed file that they're sending. So yeah, that would make sense. So the, she said that they're sending logs and, and thing, and yeah. other information. And I, and I think that the prop, them logs, 
include the personal messages that they all yeah. recorded for the families. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to headcanon that that happened because that that sounds yeah. right and it makes sense yeah, that they like, would have everything. Like I think that we get later that they write new messages, don't they? Yeah, they do. They have a bit where it's more of a but, back and forth. Yeah, but I'm thinking here that they've sort of right. We'll use these. We've got these logs. Fire them because we haven't got long. There isn't time for anyone to record new stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's just send something because at least it's telling all the families. Look. Um, you're now knowing from Starfleet that the voyage is still safe, that we're all still yeah. on our way home. And my family now knows that at, at least that I had that I've sent something to them. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. I think that's right. Um the, it's weird what goes on with Barkley though, because it's like, right, it worked. And obviously they defer to him while it's going on because he's worked on it all and everything, but they say, like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm sad that it's over. It's like, no, it's just the beginning. We're going to carry on. Like, I still think you'd, there'd be a bit of disciplinary action going on, Barclay. Like, yeah, I, I know I, that what I, you did I worked. Think Barclay, Barclay has to be disciplined in some way. And, like, you probably, he probably needs to see his doctor, which is Troy. Troy's there, so he's probably going to have to have a bout of uh, seeing her, which you get the impression because she's still at his apartment quite a bit after. Yeah. So I get the impression that a bit of time passes after because he's all. It's by the end of it, he's dating. Yeah, he's he's, he's been dating. So it seems like he's getting better and everything. But it's yeah. So I think that he's probably had to have some therapy, and he's probably had. He's probably on, not lost all hollow pillars. Yeah, he's on very strict rationing. It's one of them where it it makes sense on a character level. But it doesn't always make sense on a story level where you go, okay, they do, they break the rules, but they get something done, so ultimately they're rewarded for it. But, like, going back to Nick Lucano again, that's another example where the the whole premise of the episode doesn't really work because it's like, oh, we're going to do this spectacular thing, uh, but it's illegal. And it's like, well... You, even if you'd have pulled it off, you'd have still been booted out of the academy because it's illegal. Yeah. It's not illegal because you can't, it's so difficult to do. It's illegal because it's dangerous. So even if you pull it off safely, it's still illegal. And yeah, it's, it, it, Even it, if you pull it off, you've been putting all, the, all your team in danger yeah. to actually pull it off. So, and it's the same thing with Barclay here. It's like, yeah, you get the results, but you've still disobeyed direct orders and broken into a lab yeah. and effectively assaulted other members of the team and so anyway like you say the ending implies that he's back on track and he's okay and everything and obviously we'll um we'll catch up with him in a future episodes we're going to stick with barclay throughout the rest of his yeah, voyage and run um but let's um, yeah let's switch to ds9 then because finally we've got there we're actually at the not the start of the Dominion War as such, but the Dominion are actually here. We see them, we know who they are, or we know who some of them are. Uh, this is like the start of the Dominion arc proper. You know, we've done all the build-up to it, but this is the season two finale, the Jem'Hadar. And uh, just before we get into it, I remember when this episode was first announced, we talked the other week about how you used to get Star Trek magazine and it would tell you what the upcoming episodes were. And this episode was originally billed as the Dominion rather than the Jem'Hadar. Um, so yeah. I was like, oh, right, well, that makes sense because there's been these hints dropped to the Dominion, but they they changed it to the Jem'Hadar. So you're like, oh, I don't know who the Jem'Hadar are. That's interesting. And obviously we find out in this episode, but I think... Yeah, we find out in a big way who the Jem'Hadar are. Oh, yeah. And I think... We said this about DS9 a lot, and the the whole point in us doing so many episodes building up to this was to illustrate how DS9 gradually built up to the Dominion and introduced different elements and did it in unusual ways. Like, we talked about how the first time it's ever mentioned is in a comedy Ferengi episode. And even in this episode, like, this is a season finale... But it doesn't really feel like a season finale until about a third of the way through the episode. 
and it's, yeah, it, it, it almost starts like it's off to be a comedy. Yeah, episode, exactly, and that's very typical of DS Nine. You know, it, it subverts your expectations because you know at this point, <clears throat> and TNG pioneered it with Best of Both Worlds. You know, you got to the point where you expect, and it's commonplace now, but you expect the season finales are going to be a big cliffhanger. Whereas, yeah. you go back to. Star Trek the original series and the season finale were just whichever episode they wrote last you know it wasn't there was oh, well not even necessarily whichever episode they wrote last it's whichever episode finished production fini- last yes exactly so <laughs> you know th- there was nothing different about a season finale really than any other episode no. of the season whereas by this point you know the mid 90s TV, the structure of TV tells us your season finale is going to be a big one. And yeah, this delivers. Major happens. Yeah. And it this does deliver on that. But like you say, for the, the first act or so of the episode, this looks like it's going to be like a buddy comedy between Cisco and yeah. Quark going to a planet, which is really <laughs> interesting. Like, we've got Jake working on his science um, project. And I've always found... It's this scene really weird because Cisco goes, okay, so if you can do anything you want, what do you want to do? And he says, learn how to pilot a runabout. And Cisco goes, no, nah, that's not really science. What about your second choice? And Jake sort of looks up as if he's really surprised that he gets a second choice. It's like, did yeah. Jake think it were like, you get your first choice? Nope, right, that's it. Conversation over. But it's the way Sirach Lofton plays it. He sort of, he looks away and... Uh, and then he goes, okay, second choice. And he goes, what? <laughs> it's just really weird. It's yeah. always struck me as really odd. Um, but they decide they're going to do a planetary survey. It's a bit of a... Yeah, yeah. Jake goes, I'd like to go to the Gamma Quadrant. That's fair That's fair enough. I don't think Jake's been through the wormhole, has he? don't think he has at this point, no. By this point. So, so yeah, I can see why... Yeah, why that would be a tr- an, an attraction. It's a big spectacle. Yeah, yeah. Thermal. Why do I get to go through it? I like that Cisco makes him work for it, though. He's like, okay, but it's meant to be a science project, so tell me what you're going to do when we get to the Gamma Quadrant. You've got to do something. And it's, we'll do a planetary survey and everything. And then the reason Quark ends up going is because he's trying to use the station's monitors to sell stuff. Well, it starts, doesn't it? Like, like Cisco's obviously really made up about this. Yeah. he's He's taking some time off. To be a dad and spend some time with his son. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. He wants <laughs> and some, to... And some family time. He wants to actually spend some and then time. Jake goes and Jake goes and tells Nog. Yeah, Nog's <laughs> got to come. And then Quack's going to come as well. And um, this is obviously why when we get to season three, Cisco builds that Bajoran solar sailor that's really tiny. He's like, no, Quack and Rom <laughs> and Nog aren't going to fit in here. We'll make it so it's just me and Jake. <laughs> then we get um, Cisco in his civvies, and I think this is something that Star Trek, I think they're starting to get better with Struggle him now, swing. like in Picard. But yeah, it's because this basically looks like a Starfleet it's, uniform. <laughs> it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's because um, you had it, I'd say you had it in sci fi right through, like. From probably the sixties, seventies, right mm. through to through the nineties, that civilian clothing in the future is off to be absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, it's they've always like I think they got it right in the TOS movies, like in Star Trek Four, Sulu's rocking his cape yeah. thing or whatever. But yeah, you know it it looks reasonable, but. Then you get to Next Gen and DS9 and it's, well, when they're off duty, they're pretty much just going to wear what they'd be wearing on duty. Like this thing, Cisco, it's even got like the divide where his stripe would be on his uniform. Yeah. And he wears his combadge. It's like you might as well just be wearing your uniform. And I think they do get better with it in DS9. Like Cisco starts wearing... Um, sort of things with like African tribal designs and things like yeah. that, and I get the sense that was probably Avery Brooks pushing for more Actually, that kind of yeah. thing. Once he got to shave his head, I think he got to 
dictate the character a little bit more. But it works so much better than this weird stuff that they're wearing here. But, um, yeah, weird civilian clothes. Um, they end up on this forest planet, which looks really nice. And they're doing all the all the, the studies and the scans. And there's some good stuff in yeah. this episode with sort of Ferengi versus Federation values. And you get Cisco and Quark, like, Quark's, I can see two words, exploitable resources, <laughs> which I think's really good. And what, what, what is it, that rule of acquisition he comes out with? Um, nature is fleeting, but Latinum lasts yeah, forever. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, though, and Quark does make the point several times that you know, his Ferengi culture, you know, there's nothing... Yeah. Wrong like, with it. It's just like, a different like, way of Quark's looking at the world. actually only gone on this because he wants something from Cisco. Oh, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, he wants to sell his stuff over the over the station. He wants. He wants to be allowed to use the station monitors. Yeah, and he thinks he can win Cisco over but, eventually. But he, even but though he actually like. I think he actually wins this argument against Cisco. I think he does to a large extent, and. Even though we're sort of being invited to poke fun at the Ferengi values a little bit, you do see, like, the good side of it, like when Nog tells him what the rule of acquisition is, Quack's really proud of him, so, you know... Yeah, it, well done. It, it isn't <laughs> totally negative, it's just different, you know. And, like... You can even see sort of early hints here that because obviously last episode we had the thing of Jake doesn't want to be in Starfleet, but we're almost getting the hints here that Nog is going to want to be eventually because he's doing really well with the the surveys and everything. And when Cisco comes over and says, "Oh, you're doing good, lads," sort of thing, Nog looks really happy about it as well. It's not, yeah, it, it's not like Nog's <laughs> like, "Oh, I can't believe we've got to do all this." He, He's actually yeah, putting like, himself I into the, it. I get the impression Nog's always behind in school and he and Jake always helps him with some assignment mm. he has to finish and do well in to pass. And I get the impression it's because of his Ferengi culture that they have him working in the bar or yeah. stock taking or doing something when he should be doing his own work or, his le- or being... Yeah, that's, or that's it. Because obviously Nog... To a lesser extent, but certainly Quark obviously don't think any of that's useful, you know, that the only things you need to know is about making profit and this and the other, whereas Nog obviously does want to learn about this stuff and that informs his arc for the the rest of the series. Uh, there's a really nice scene with Cisco and Jake where they're talking about, you know, how they, they used to go on holidays and stuff with his mum and... It, you see the warmth between the characters, which I think is really, really good. And both actors are always brilliant at playing it. And you, you know, we've talked before they about have, the the yeah, they have a great dynamic together. Yeah, to play it. Like we, we've talked before, haven't we, about the "What You Leave Behind" documentary and everything. And it is clear that they did. Avery Brooks did treat him like a son off screen as well as yeah. on screen, and that it really comes across. And then Quark sets himself on fire, which is really good. <laughs> and then that leads to, like you say, another argument about the Ferengi and the Federation. And Quark does make really good points that it, it's because Ferengi values are very similar to what human values used to be like, which yeah. for us but, in the real world, the Ferengi point- are pretty much where we're at now, you know? Yeah. With all the all the trading and everything's about who can make the most, it's very cap- capitalist society. Yeah, but it's like Quark points out. He goes, "But we didn't ever have slavery." Yeah, that's barbaric that you did that, and yet you look down on us. Yeah, exactly. Well, he makes some very good points. Uh, and but I like where he's sort of like that. You don't. You just don't like care for Engi, do you? And he's there. Yes, I do. Name one that you like. See, yeah, yeah. what if Jake wanted to marry you for Rengi? Well, I don't know. I rest my case. Yeah. Though it's very unlikely. And he has the better of Cisco in this. He does, but it, it is very unlikely that Jake could meet a Ferengi female because they're not really allowed off the homeworld. But no, 
But that's by the by. But yeah, he does because it, it. And you know, Cisco does have a bit of a prejudice against Ferengi, and I think I think he does come round on that. We're working with particularly with Nog and with Rom later on. I don't think he ever changes his mind Rob, on yeah. Quark too much, but um, but yeah. Um, yeah, th- I, like <coughs> I think he, he he learns very early on how to deal with Quark. Oh yeah, he's got he get, Quark's he gets number. the measure of Quark literally yeah. in the first episode. He gets the measure of Quark. Oh, yeah, he has brilliant. Like, there's a great. I can't remember which um, which episode it is where they talk about it, and Quark says, "Oh, you know, you tried to persuade me to stay on the station," and Cisco said, "I didn't persuade you. I blackmailed you." <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah. yeah, that is what he did. <laughs> So, yeah, he had Quark's number right from the start. Um, And then this is where Eris turns up. So she turns up and zaps someone with this thing, psychic bolt, which we'll no doubt talk about. Yeah, like like she says it's psychic powers. Now, this is never seen again. It's only ever seen in this episode. Um, It's either retcons that... They were going to give the Vaught to this power, and then decided not to because it was just probably going OP. Mm. Or she's got a hidden weapon on her. I think my take on it has always been that this is a it is a genetic thing, but it's been given to her specifically for this mission. Because if you look at what she tells Cisco later on. She basically tells him a massive pack of lies about who her species is and how they came to be in the Dominion and everything. And it might be that it was retconned afterwards. And in fact, that that probably is the case. But I think you can... It doesn't break the continuity for you to go, well, obviously she was meant to be lying to him. She's been told to lie to him. And it's possible that they just gave her that ability specifically for this. And yeah, I think you I, can... I've, I've sort of... Uh, I've put it in my mind that, instead of it being retcon, that she's actually got some sort of hidden... That works too, yeah. Of that sort of repulsor. And I think part of the... Because it doesn't kill anyone, it just stuns. No, it's true. And, you know, part of the reason I don't think we ever followed it up is that they never... They never brought the character back, and I know that they tried a few times, but the actress was never available at the right time, right. so they always had to uh, go with a different character, which is a shame, because it was clearly being set up that she was meant to come back. But we're getting ahead of ourselves with that. So uh, the Jemadar turn up then, and now our master plan comes to fruition. This is why we did Captive Pursuit, because their abilities are very, very similar to the Hunters and to Tosk. And, you know, we talked about when we looked at that episode, there's definitely some sort of link between the two. Um, But it's clear that... Like, I I think that they've sort of... I I still stick with what I said then, that they've looked at them characters and they didn't like maybe the personalities or how they looked, but they liked some of the abilities. Yeah, they've, they've... Sort of merged the two characters. They've into not one quite got the it there that. yet, but they're like, yeah, we like them. We want them to be reptilian. We want them to be able to cloak themselves. We want this warrior ethos that they've got. So yeah, and right, Nog again showing early sign that Nog's going to be a good Starfleet officer. Because straight away he says, "Why don't we beam up to the runabout?" When Nog and Jake yeah. realise they can't find them. That's absolutely the right thing to do, Nog, because you can scan the planet and find them. But Jake's yep. like, no, no, we'll keep looking. No, Nog, Nog's got the right idea. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the signs are there early on, aren't they, with Nog, where his character's going. Mm. If you, when you know where his character ends up. Yeah, exactly. You can see it early on. A lot earlier on. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know whether it was planned or maybe it's Maybe it's the writers when these episodes are being made thinking, oh, I think we could end up putting Nog in Starfleet. You know, if we look at what we've already done with him, that could be where he ends up. Um, So ultimately they end up caught in this containment field and everything. And Quark kicks up a fuss to try and get some attention and everything. And he's still trying to... I think he thinks he can negotiate, you know, because they know the Dominion. And 
It's... Well, he thinks he can buy his way out. Yeah, exactly. Everything has a price. Well, exactly. <laughs> and Eris says something interesting. Like she says, the founders don't exist. Um, it's just a myth, and that's interesting. With all the obviously, again, it's a lie because basically everything she says in this episode is a lie. But but that's interesting yeah. as well. With ultimately, we find out the founders are the changelings, and everyone thought the changelings didn't yeah, exist. Well... So. The kind of well, playing up, on their own up until mythology. This episode, everything about the founders and changelings has been myth and yeah. ancient stories. And we don't obviously make the the connection between the founders and the changelings until later on. And this is the first time we hear about the founders. Like we we only start to find out a little bit about the structure of the Dominion. Like we know there's founders of yeah. it and we know the Jemadara, the military of it, but beyond that we don't find yeah, out a lot more like up until up until this point we think the gem it's played that we look at the dominion is a species yeah but you're but right it isn't the dominion is actually an organization it's like starfleet yes yeah like the federation yeah and the Gemadar guy and this is something we'll keep coming back to but the Gemadar basically says we're not tolerating any more incursions into our territory and that's why we've yeah. locked you up and there's this great stuff about him him saying, I wish I could meet a Klingon. And they can't have known at this point that Worf was going to become a a main character on DS9. But it's great, the fact... I remember at the time, people, when Worf was announced as joining, they were like, oh, maybe the Jemadar will finally get to meet a Klingon warrior. So that just... It's a nice uh, coincidence that played off nicely there. Because uh, Next Gen has just finished here. It has, yeah. So um, he's maybe signed up for the... He's, well, he will be signed up for Generations. Yeah. Which should take him well into Season 3 of the 9 So it maybe has already been... That maybe the idea's in the back of somebody's him. mind. Yeah, you never know. Well, he's maybe already spoken to producers and writers and... You never know. Um, sort of like people high up. But, well, can I carry on? Have you got space for another character? Yeah. But it, it does feel like a little bit of setup there, like, you know, I, I want to meet a Klingon. Oh, you will do, don't worry. Worf will be on his way yeah. eventually. <laughs> and there's a cool scene with Nog and Jake on the runabout where Nog sort of panics and he goes, escape pods, fire phasers, and all this stuff like that. I yeah, find that... phasers, put on torpedoes. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. And that's when the ship sort of fires off into um, the station. And... Well, no, this no, it doesn't. Well, it, the, the ship the, blasts the away ship, from the, the planet. The ship that they're scared about, yeah, it warps off. But this isn't the first time we see this sort. Oh, we see this sort of behaviour later from the Jemadar, where a runabout will be in orbit, mm. and you'll just leave it there. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, I don't know. Just to do this in pur- in Purgatory's shadow. Yes, which is very convenient. <laughs> um, I mean, they're great episodes, <laughs> but. But yeah, it doesn't make. We a will lot. get to them. But yeah, we will get to them in a <laughs> quite a but while. It does but... happen. It does seem to happen that the Jemadar just ignore other ships if they just sat there. Yeah, very strange. Um, Which so... might have been useful for the Odyssey and all that to it... know in about yeah, an hour or two. It might have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Jemadar ship appears, and this is something we're going to come back to time and time again when we talk about who's actually responsible for this war. And um, We see how powerful the Jem'Hadar are because he, he beams straight onto the station, straight into Ops, and he makes it absolutely clear. He says, going through the wormhole is interference with the Dominion. And Dax says, well, that's not yeah. going to stop us exploring. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Dax. Wait, the- yeah, wait a minute. We're going into their territory yeah. and saying, stop coming in. Yeah, this species. We have, you are interfering in our territory. Yeah, they have You're just told you. You can't just say, well, we're going to... Yeah, this species... You're just going to Romulan space. No, they've just told you that part of the galaxy is ours. We have a, a whole big empire and we don't want you yeah. coming into it. And Dax says, no, nope, that's not going to stop us. And they've destroyed the new Bajor colony. They've destroyed loads of ships. Uh, they can move straight through force fields. I do think 
that they maybe make the Jemadar a bit too powerful in this episode and we maybe turn back on some of that stuff later on. Well, that's a bit that's a bit like the bottom with the psychic fighting. Yeah. And I think it's sort of like Yeah. I think that they've sort the thought about the oh we're doing things a bit too OP. Yes. Uh, I I do think that's part of it because it I remember seeing this episode the first time and being like, wow, they're like harder than the Borg. You know, they they can do everything. They can pass yeah. through shields. They can they can beam away. I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, I, I think they do turn it down a little bit. Um, back on the runabout then, they, they manage to disable the lockouts after Jake nearly blows the ship up. But it's like, right, <laughs> we've... We've disabled the autopilot so we can do what we want now. Right, setting a course. Can't do that without the autopilot. Oh. Yeah, yeah, computer set a course for the station. Autopilot is disengaged. Oh. Yeah. It was <laughs> it were a good idea, Jake. And you did well doing it, but and I like that they're just sort of moving along like it's like somebody drunk driving a car, like the runabout's just sort of <laughs> jumping through space. Then we get the captain of the Odyssey. So the Odyssey is a galaxy-class ship. It turns up. You have a good line where Dax says, oh, you're going to offload the non-essential crew and everything. Maybe what they should have done is detach the saucer section. But and just send the battle bridge. And drive. just send the battle bridge. But no, we don't do that because that's way too expensive to do that. But... Um, <laughs> You know, what are you talking about? You're lucky we've got a Galaxy-class ship on the show, never mind. Um, but anyway, at least well, they... Well, there is a reason that they have a Galaxy-class uh, ship available for you. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Um, a, bit like, um, a bit like how the Excelsior-class stayed in service for 100. <laughs> yeah, and there's a bit of... Well, we'll get there when we get there, but there's a bit of controversy over the choice of the ship. Um I like the odor. Interesting fact for the my interesting fact for the week: the Excelsior has appeared in more episodes of Star Trek than Nog. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, it was in a hell of a lot of TNG episodes. <laughs> and um, DS Nine episodes. Yeah. So I like how seriously they're all taking it. Like Kira's really like geared up for, and they are taking this seriously as a threat. And Odo's like, well, I'm going to go and keep an eye on Quark because no one else is going to. That's really nice. <laughs> and he almost gets like, Kira to admit that she'd miss Quark. Almost. Like, oh, the thing is, Odo always plays it that him and Quark are in. Yeah. The more like frenemies. Yeah, definitely. Quark, I mean. Quark considers Odo a friend. Yeah. And I think Odo does consider Quark a friend, really, but he's just not going to say <laughs> he it. He just won't give him the satisfaction of knowing it. Yeah, and that carries through right to the last ever episode, doesn't it, where he just sort of harumphs <laughs> at him and walks anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Odyssey arrives, O'Brien saves the kids on the runabout. At the same time, Eris uses her powers, Quark's deactivated the collar, and... They make their escape, and Quark actually, he grabs a gun, and, well, Cisco chucks in the gun, but he takes down one of the Jemadars, so... Yeah. Bit of trivia well, there for you. Has, Who was the it first... It has been mentioned before, though, yeah. that Quark had been in the Ferengi. He had, trip. yeah. But, yeah, good bit of trivia. Who was the first DS9 crew member to kill a Jemadar? Quark. Yeah. I reckon that'd catch a few out. <laughs> um, the Odyssey in the battles taking a bit of a pounding... O'Brien manages to beam up Cisco, and then the the battle scene's really good for for the time and for for DS9's budget at the time. And I mean, we'll get a lot better than this further down the line. But at the yeah, time, the this is goes through the roof later. <laughs> this is probably the most spectacular TV battle we've had on Star Trek. You know, on a TV show. The Battle of Wolf 359, you don't actually see much in Best of Both Worlds. Um, no, but you do get it in um, Emissary. In Emissary, you do, yeah. Emissary. So maybe... I, I'd say that Emissary is, Emissary is probably the best one so Emissary, probably. yes, I forgot about that one. But still, this is pretty good stuff. And then the Jemadar ship does a suicide run and destroys the Odyssey. Yeah, the Odyssey's turned round. 
Yeah, the retreating. So it is the just making a point that they will do anything. And yeah. that makes them scary as well. The fact that they're not they don't value their own life. And Yeah, that the the the, the Gemadar will just smash the own ship up to yeah. destroy you. And again that even though we don't know it at the time, that ties into really the fact that the Jemadar are basically a slave species to the Dominion. You know, they, yeah. they don't mean anything. They're not bothered. They'll send... If if killing a crew of Jemadar kills a, a Federation starship, then the Dominion's yeah, not going to be bothered about that. The, that's victory to Gem, e- the Jemadar. Exactly, it's job done. And a bit of controversy over the fact... I know at the time some fans were pretty pissed off that they blew up a Galaxy-class ship so they felt like... You've just cancelled TNG, TNG's finished, and now on our sh- on this other show, you're blowing up a ship that looks exactly like the Enterprise. <laughs> and like like to be fair, sort of as DS9's gone on, and even to an extent Voyage's prob- probably hold its own against the Galaxy class ship. Mm, very but true. The Federation started building warships. The Galaxy class ship, and I've seen a lot where it's literally described as a big mall in space. Yeah, it is. It's it's uh, it's a science ship. It's a peacetime it, ship, definitely. It, it was built when the Federation had no enemies. They're out exploring. Yeah, they've ended all the wars. They had a huge, this huge ship. Yeah, it does have lots of phaser banks. Yeah, it can defend itself, but it's not. It can defend itself, but it's not built for war. It's explorer. Exactly. And I, I think the other thing was people were, it was almost like, is it having a dig at TNG saying we're better than TNG by blowing up their ship? And I don't think there's any truth to that, but... I but, don't think there's any, I think I think it's like, it, it. the reality is that they had a limited amount of models. Oh, yeah. And they will have had, and this will have cost a lot of money. Because it's a physical model. Yeah, problem. and it's a good effect as well, where you see like the wreckage from the main body spins out and hits the nacelle. And uh, yeah. though I do think there is, I don't think it was done out of malice, like we're blowing up the next gen ship. But it does send a message: is you know they've just blown up the equivalent of the Enterprise, so this is a threat that we yeah. have to take seriously. This is a serious threat. The Borg didn't manage to do that exactly. And then it finishes off, we get Quark realises that the collar doesn't actually do anything. I like the fact that his pocket is, he's thinking, I can sell this. So th- Yeah, he's that's, thinking, oh, this is good technology. That's great motivation <laughs> and perfectly in character. And then Cisco confronts Eris and says, you're one of the founders. And she rightly says, like, she doesn't say I'm not, but she says, you think they'd waste time with you. And she beams away, and this is another thing where I think it's, Again, a little bit overpowerful that we drop later on. So it's like, where did she beam to? Does that mean that they've got cloaking technology? Is it implied that they've beamed her back to the Gamma Quadrant? You know what? You never get well, an answer I, on I, this. I, I, I just I assumed that the ship that had come through that had the Gemadar on has stayed in the has stayed in the vicinity of the maybe station, yeah, but out of sort of uh, scanner range. And they it have long-distance transporting. Yeah, but that's the implication. I, I've never thought that she'd been through the wormhole. No. And I don't think she, they've got cloaking devices. No, but I remember at the time thinking, I wonder how she's done Wh- that. You where know? she's gone. And it's one of them. It's like they've got better transport technology than we've seen before. And I don't think that's particularly followed up on <clears throat> later on. But uh, anyway. Well, we have had uh, Scotty's... Uh, Transwarp formula. Well, yes, but that's... Transwarp beam. That's many years later in real time, earlier in Star Trek time, in a different universe. I I, I think it's actually mentioned in TOS. Transwarp beam, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm sure that there's there's something mentioned. I'm not sure if he does it, but I think it's mentioned. It might be. Um, but and then it finishes with Cisco being badass, saying, "You know, she'll be back and we'll be ready." So, well, she won't be back because yeah. they couldn't sort out the Wait. the actress. His yeah, when the Dominion come, we're going to be at the front. Yeah, and he's exactly. Right. They are going to be at the front. Well, they are, and it's a really good. It's not a to be continued cliffhanger, but it is. 
you know, it doesn't literally say to be continued on screen, but then not many things do these days because you sort of expect everything to end with a cliffhanger now, so you don't really need to... Yeah, well... You, you don't need to it, reassure it people end, that we'll continue it. It doesn't end with an... It doesn't so much end with an unresolved story. No. Because the story of the episode is wrapped up. Yeah. All done. But it does sort of have have an end to what we've had for two seasons of the oh, yeah, explorers and this is the end and little of, bits of this. This is the end of this Act end One of, of DS Nine. That's yeah. It, and <coughs> we move. We're going to have a, something new starting in season yeah, three. The the prologue we, to DS Nine is yeah, done by we've this had, point. We've done, we've done two years of a bit of a build up and doing uh, episode episode of the week. Planet of the Week, Monster of the Week for two years. You've seen that in TOS and yeah. TNG for ten years. We've done two years of it. We're going to do something else now. Yeah, and it's going to be... Yourself, strap yourselves in, here we go. Indeed, yeah. It's going to be really good fun talking about it. So that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing next week is we're going to... Because it's a two-part episode, the the opening to season three, the search part one and two, we're just going to do that as one episode of Retrek because it, it doesn't make yeah. sense to do them separately. They are one story, so we're going to stick with that. Um, yeah, we'll probably do that with quite a few of the two parts. Yeah, we up. will. Uh, we will pick up Barclay's adventures in Voyager when we've got uh, just a single episode of DS9 to talk about, but <laughs> looking forward to next week talking about the search parts one and yeah. two. Um, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can tweet us at RetrekPod. You can email us RetrekPod at gmail.com or you can come and join us on the Facebook group to search for Retrek. Uh, but for this week, thanks for trekking with us this time and we'll see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye.